how did you navigate and saying, you know what, I am beautiful. My blackness is beautiful. How do how did you end up getting through that? So I have a two part answer to that question. The okay. first is, I mean, we always want to talk about black and brown separation, but I told you there was that 50-50 split, right? So for every family member that I had that was that made racist comments or committed racist actions or anti-black actions, whatever you want to call it, I had um, an equal amount, maybe a lesser amount by, by a small portion of family members who were supportive in like little ways. Like to this day, um, I was never allowed to strain my hair that's like one thing that I definitely took for granted back then. I was always like, oh, I want to have my hair straightened. And I was never allowed to dye or strain my hair because they said, your hair is beautiful. Your skin's mm. beautiful. Like, I would always be like, oh, oh, why can't I have skin like this? I'm getting bullied. Da, da, da. You're beautiful. You don't need to be worried about them. And this is coming from people who are like from white Latinos. Welcome to another episode of Production Pod. I'm so excited to have the one and only Antoinette in the building, but Tony, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> that everybody know you on the block as Tony. You yeah. feel me? Tony, Tony, Tone? Tony, Tony, Tone. Okay, 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 okay. So please tell us who you are. Tell you tell tell tell, tell the world. Come so, on. So I'm Tony, Tony Martin, but my music, my musician name is Tony Mundo. That's a whole thing. I'm in the middle of rebranding. But I'm 27 years old. I'm Afro-Latina. I've been, I've been writing music for the past two years, but I've been a lover and a, of music and a poet since I came out the womb, to okay. be quite honest. Um, I hear that. So I'm a Latin rap artist. I rap in Spanish. I also rap in English. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much about me. By, by night, I'm a rap artist. And by day, I just do a lot of, of community work for the black and brown community and specifically the youth, because those are the, the ones who need it the most. And that's like the future of our, our, our livelihood, like the, this current generation is the future. So I feel like it's really important to pour into them. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that, but that, that's like a tenfold with my music. Like I've always felt like music is mantras. So I'm very careful about like what lyrics I put out there. But yeah, we'll get into it. But that's just the gist about me. So tell me how, um, like who influenced you to be in music? Oh, man. Okay, so there's different levels to it. I'd say on a fundamental level, my father has influenced me the most, though he's not a musician. He's a huge hip hop head from the 90s, like, I tell a lot of people this story, but growing up, we had it really rough. Like, we were really deep in the trenches, like poverty-wise. And um, he had—he literally joined the army so we could eat at 18. Like, he had me at 17, um, joined the army at 18. And I was just always watching him hustle. And we struggled a lot, like financially, emotionally, physically. But he always used music as like a way to keep my spirits uplifted. So it's like if we were having a bad day, bills like needed to be paid and we didn't have money. He's he's blasting the radio. He's blasting Biggie. He's blasting Tupac. He's blasting Nas. So I think that really instilled something in my character from a very young age um, that like there's a lot of power in music. So I would say fundamentally my father 
In terms of like musicians that I'm influenced by, I would say lyrically, um, like a lot of of like hip hop from the 90s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Like lyrically, Tupac is like one of my biggest influences. Okay. Um, Gotta go with Pac. I think like politically, like always talking about things that are are going on in our communities. Um, in that sense, and also like the wordplay, um, another huge influence is Andre 3000, like hands down. His his like creativeness with music is just like so inspiring and mind blowing and refreshing. So I would probably say those are two of the biggest influences. Okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, I I want to know. So so you're. Father, so what was some of the the music or songs that he played when you were young? What was it that, like, most notably, when I was growing up, my grandfather, he would always play the Gap Band. So there's a song, <laughs> Oops, Upside Your Head. Yeah, I know and that song. Be, yeah, he would run us around the, the cars. He was working on the car, doing oil changes, and he would be hitting us in the, in the back <laughs> of our head, like, Oops, Upside Your Head. And I'd be like, oh, my God. So I remember yeah. seeing that, like, I, I can see that picture as a kid growing up with my grandfather and my grandparents. And... What was it for you? What was it something that you'd be like, yo, this was always playing in the crib or something yeah. when you dance with your father? You know, what? what is something? What are those memorable moments? Oh, man. So this was the 90s, right? So I feel like everybody alive during the time of the 90s and early 2000s remembers having like a big uh, CD pack with okay. like just ridiculous like so he always had so many cds but like there were cds falling out like he definitely needed one or two one or two more but he fit them all into this one black like uh torn up cd case i'll never forget and there was so much like i said it was it was like nas a lot of tupac like every single project that tupac came out with i i listened to over and over again but i'd probably say more than that it would be like outcast and then the early 2000s was heavy on the 112 heavy 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 on the 112 yeah but see my father i i think the reason why my music is so like diverse and non-conforming is because you know it was all it was all mostly like hip-hop r&b related but i mean there would be times when he'd be playing the the latest outcast album but and he'll he'll probably not he'll probably uh cringe a little bit when i <laughs> when he finds out i did this interview and and shared this but it's so real and it's so important to be honest like um he he was playing a lot of like explicit <laughs> a lot of explicit music as a lot of music back then hip-hop was very explicit so it was never filtered um a lot but could of you say those words could you rap it no, never, never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important to know. Never, never. I was only allowed to listen. I was never uh, allowed to repeat. And I remember one time um, I did try to repeat and it was one of those record scratching moments. Like I was like, am I going to get <laughs> am I going to get a little whooped? Like he turned down the music and he he looked at me and it was just one time only. And then after that, it was like solidified in my head. All right. Um, so he gave you the father. Oh, look. he gave me the father look like. <laughs> Like, don't get it twisted now. I've definitely given yeah. notes to my kids plenty of times. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't think I got it yesterday. <laughs> for sure. Like, mm. Yeah. And that's mm. important, right? Because a lot of the messages in the music, I talk about like lyricism and the importance of words and music. Um, a lot of the music was like 
heavy on like exploitation of women and like mm -hmm. just just not very careful about the ways which we talked about women and youth and all this stuff so it, it was like that fine line like he's like yes we're enjoying music also this is not like you don't need to absorb everything that's being said mm. that's powerful that's powerful and what like what were some of the things that you played? Uh, did did you play musical instruments? Were you introduced to them? Because I'm just thinking like you as an artist, like um, how, what were some of the forms uh, or some of the uh, mediums that you used in order to create? Mm. Okay, I would say in terms of like instrumentation, I was always I was always a a a good kid at least i thought but you know how it is in the school system if you're not extremely conforming or if you learn a bit differently a lot of times you get labeled as like a bad disruptive kid so mm -hmm. i remember in middle school um i had this uh it, it was like majority like 99.9 percent .9 mexican population and we had this one japanese teacher who was like a pianist like super dope very well trained and I remember her just like pulling me to the side, like, you know, you're hanging out with the wrong with the wrong kids. If you continue to go down this path, these are some examples of what your life could look like, like on some really on some real stuff. And um, I remember she gave me some sheets. Um, we had a piano class, but it was just supposed to be like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I wasn't interested in Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I'm over here listening to, to Biggie and Tupac. I don't really <laughs> resonate. And I think she really saw that, um, which is really dope. So she gave me these sheets and it had like all these hip hop songs, um, all these like compositions of hip hop songs from the 90s. Um, Cause she knew that's that's what I like and what I'd be interested in. And so I learned to play a little bit um other than that i never really picked up guitar but my grandfather um he's in a banda okay. like he's always been like i grew up um like watching his rehearsals um very traditional mexican environment that i grew up in um and he always played the guitar and uh, the accordion so while i didn't play i have like a really huge respect for people who play uh, guitar and accordion other than that, I just consider myself a very strong lyricist and a very strong poet. Since I was like like four or five years old, I've been like, I didn't know it at the time. And I've only recently come to the conclusion that that music and lyricism is poetry. Like that's something, that's like a new revelation for me. So um, poetry has been a forever type of thing for me. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Is there some like, uh, I guess, some notable poetry that you remember growing up. I remember um, there's this uh, poem um, in Color Compton when you first mm -hmm. walk in. It says, each of us has that right, that possibility yeah. to invent ourselves daily. If a person does not invent herself, she will be, into, be invented. So to be bodacious enough to invent ourselves is wise, right? And that's something that, you know, Abby had on her, like, wall growing up yeah. every day. So she's like, yo, I want people to see that same thing, knowing that, like, if you do not tell your story, if you're not creative, if you're not doing these things that are necessary for your lineage, for the preservation of your history, somebody will invent you. Yeah. Right. So is there something that you remember like reading in terms of poetry to say, hey, you know what? I am going to make sure that I also contribute to this in terms of storytelling and more. Yeah, I definitely have an answer. It's not going to be what you're expecting. Go ahead. No. T Tupac was my favorite poet. And I know fire. he's a rapper. Fire. He's a lyricist. 
but in terms of poetry, he was always my favorite poet. And my fa- so if you ask me what my favorite poem is, it's Dear Mama. That's my favorite because mm. it is a poem. It was a poem to his mother that he wrote and then turned into a song and manifested into a song. But essentially everything he wrote was poems. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. No, I, I really <laughs> like that. That's dope. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's pop. Come on now. Yeah. So I always do this thing because um, you keep talking about different artists and stuff. And uh, I don't want to wait any longer to actually go into it. We call <laughs> okay. it the breakout session, right? And breakout session means that you um, you only get to choose one. So music or film? Music. Okay, so you chose music. So if you could have a show, right, with three artists, dead or alive, right, mm-hmm. who would perform and where would they perform? Oh, man. So you're talking about, like, my own curated Your music show? Your own curated show that you could have anywhere in the world. But you got to tell me where it would be would be outside on the beach and who would perform dead or alive doesn't matter who it is oh that's so hard that's like when people ask me my favorite artists let's see three dead or alive you know tupac's gonna be in there okay Pac. okay (laughs) tupac i'd say who else i would love to see i know it might have to be individually but i would love to see a collaboration between Tupac, um, like La Calle Trece, or and like a a like Banda MS, because I like that fusion, right? Because that's a lot of what my music is. It's like a a like a Black American, like Mexican American sort of fusion or Latin fusion. So. I, I would want to do something wild, like unheard of. Like I know Banda MS did a song with Snoop Dogg. Like I like mm-hmm. that sort of like culture clash, like culture, like connect. So yeah, it would have to be like Tupac and Banda MS with like another, another heavy. Oh, maybe Andre 3000, like Tupac and, and La Calle 13 all in all in Mexico or South Central. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's dope. Is it outside? Um, oh, it's, it's, it's inside. I, I really like that that underground type of, like, competitive, intimate. intimate environment. Like, no air conditioning, sweating, like, spit coming off, <laughs> spit coming off the mic. Because that's how you know you're really <laughs> passionate. If you don't spit when you you rap, you're not that you're not that passionate. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you, you're growing up. Um, my such uh, Mexican father, mm-hmm. right? Black mother, right? Yeah, you're from growing, the south. From the south, yeah. right? So you're growing. These are different cultures, right? Oh, yeah. Clashing, especially this is the '90s and the two, oh, early yeah, 2000s. So it's a different experience, yeah. right? So I want to know when you got to school, like. How was that like navigating that? Like, did, were you ever approached or with the time where like you someone didn't think that you spoke Spanish or something like that? And you're like, I know exactly what you said. Oh, come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would describe my early childhood to like early adulthood as like. I, I wouldn't even say identity crisis because I never had a con- there was never any 
confusion on my part about who I was, but always this like friction, I guess, with the outside world, with people who like don't understand either culture. And like in Spanish, we say la belleza de dos culturas. Like it's the beauty of two cultures mm -hmm. is what they call a lot of like black Mexicans and Afro Latinos. But it comes with a lot of like hardship and always some extra explaining. Um, so I would say it was just really difficult trying to maneuver because so I, I, I spent my early, early, early childhood. So I was born in the Bay mm. in San Bernardino County. And then I moved to my mother's like hometown, Atlanta, Georgia, where I, I faced the Mecca. A, right, I love, the Mecca. Oh Hello. Gosh, love it. Um, so, so I spent some time there. And then when I moved from living with my mother to my father, I was going from a predominantly like 99.9% all black Southern town to a 99.9% all Mexican majority immigrant Spanish only speaking town. So that was like the, the most difficult and beautiful <laughs> like sort of like switch for me. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish like out of the womb. I only learned Spanish when I moved, when I was about like six years old into like predominantly Spanish speaking household. My grandmother only spoke Spanish. So it was like a very apparent disconnect, like linguistically and culturally. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of misunderstanding on others part like reactive wise i think i got into a lot of disciplinary situations when i shouldn't have been like a lot of times when i was just speaking in my black american southern vernacular they took it as like oh you're being aggressive right now like if mm. i got, had a lot of situations in the school system where someone would come up to me bullying me bothering me i was a very peaceful kid i've always been a peaceful person um, so there were a lot of situations where administration or parents, the community would like see the situation with two of us, but because I'm dark skin and I'm speaking a little bit louder or, you know, I'm using certain like language or words, like I was, was deemed as the aggressor. Like if you look at my school history, I have excellent grades, A's and B's always, like every time I, I thrived academically. But if you look like at behaviorally, it, I don't have the best track record because a lot of times I was just deemed the aggressor when that really wasn't the case. You think that they uh, looked at your blackness as a, a way of like, because you because you were darker skinned than some of the people that were bullying you, they automatically assumed that you were the one that started it? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, and I think it's, it's that. I, I would say it's like, 70% that and I would say the other 30% is like the language barrier. So a lot of times I, I couldn't even explain to them what had happened. So you have like two students, one of them speaks the native language and I don't and they're over here explaining I don't know what to them. And all I know is I'm, I'm getting punished for it. So it was very much that. And maybe that flows into the that second department because I mean, there was a lack of wanting to even understand me. I feel like a lot of it was not out of pure hatred, but just fear based and like fear of not knowing, like on a fundamental human level, 
where which is really unfortunate right but it's just the way like we are as a human race we're more comfortable with people who look like us so i think that's a lot of of what it is or what it was and when we talk about like all right when i when i came to la right i didn't know like i grew up in virginia Mm -hmm. so the only like issues that i that i know of that people ever had was like from like MS-13s, like black, we're like, yo, they, they're crazy. Yeah. You know, those are some of the things that we encountered there in uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. And even then that was more like Fairfax. It was still like, yeah. still away, it was distance away from where we were. And when I came to LA, there was just like this big separation with black and brown, mm-hmm. right? Like California in general, it's like in the jail systems and the gang culture, yeah, you know, there's a big separation. So for me, um, in terms of, again, we talked about your blackness, like, do you think that some of the things that, uh, like, do you think that some, even family members, you know, because now you're, you, you're moving into like a predominantly Mexican, mm-hmm. you know, family, um, was there forms of uh, racism and things like that that you experienced? Like, Absolutely. I'm like... Where, where do I start, <laughs> right? Um, I think it was 50-50, right? Because, you know, my parents are like a prime example of like black and brown, like love and allyship. My best friend is brown, indigenous. Um, she's, she's like a full-on supporter of me. So it's 50-50, right? I feel like with 50% of my family, it was just really blatant and hurtful, Um Like, I'm trying to think of some examples. I don't really know where to start. So a lot of times when when I was approached, like, like, say I was approached by, like, a boy, a lot of the times, just like I said before, I was deemed the aggressor because I was simply because I was black and a female. um, I was over-sexualized a lot. So, like, while girls were wearing the same thing I was wearing, it was, like, not completely not okay for me to wear it. Like, I always had to go and change growing up because they're like oh oh you're you're coming off this way but I'm like she's wearing like they're wearing less clothing than I am but because I'm black and I'm a female it was always an issue um a more apparent um example is like I have a Theo to this day like I don't really speak to and I really love him and it's all love and I know it's just like we just grew up differently but he uses the n-word like and, and there have been times where I've told him explicitly many times it makes me uncomfortable and he still continued to use the word over and over again almost to like get a reaction out of me and um I know this is something like these are the conversations that like family members don't want you to talk about and I'll probably upset some some family members and that's okay but this is my real raw experience um so those are just like the top two (laughs) examples I can think of but I can go on all day Oh, okay. No, no, no. I just thought I'd ask because, like, I know that um, some things have, like, because I'm married in to my wife is Mexican. So there are things that I've, like, witnessed or I've seen and I'm like, that was racist. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for me, I'm not in a space or place to try to change anyone. Right. My thing is, like, just me being my best self because even if it's whether regards to racism or not, you know, in different cultures, I know I'm going to respect like receive something from someone even if it's in my own community i'm like oh man 
this dude be tripping. Mm-hmm. Like we we gonna receive something. Yeah. And when you're dealing with family, what family do you know that doesn't have trauma? You're gonna get it. Right. You're gonna see something, right? So, um, I'm. So how did you end up navigating that, like, and pushing through that while still being positive? Because you receiving all of that because of who you are. I'm, yeah. you know, when we when we look at certain notable books like The Bluest Eye and like we read these books about like how we may view ourselves, how do how did how did you navigate and saying, you know what, I am beautiful. My blackness is beautiful. How do how did you end up getting through that? So, I have a two-part answer to that question. The okay. first is I mean, we always want to talk about black and brown separation, but I told you there was that 50-50 split, right? So for every family member that I had that was that made racist comments or committed racist actions or anti-black actions, whatever you want to call it, I had um, an equal amount, maybe a lesser amount by, by a small portion of family members who were supportive in like little ways. Like to this day, um, I was never allowed to strain my hair that's like one thing that I definitely took for granted back then. I was always like, oh, I want to have my hair straightened. And I was never allowed to dye or strain my hair because they said, your hair is beautiful. Your skin's mm. beautiful. Like, I would always be like, oh, oh, why can't I have skin like this? I'm getting bullied. Da, da, da. You're beautiful. You need to be worried about them. And this is coming from people who are like from white Latinos. So I feel like there's a lot of love in that sense. I did get a lot of um, like love and care in regards to like how I felt about myself and how I presented myself. Um, Yeah, so that's one part. And I think the second part, um, also another topic that people don't talk about, it it wasn't like I had a a linear journey. Well, no one's journey is linear, but it wasn't like a simple solution. I think I got to a point where where all of the anti-blackness, of course there were other things going on, but I, I experienced a lot of depression mm. as a child, a lot of trauma and depression. And I think once I got into my very early, like late teens, early 20s, it was to the point where like I just couldn't even function anymore. I could barely go to school. And so um, I went to a therapist for the first time um, for one thing and ended up getting comments on a completely different thing. And I remember my therapist to this day, she was like, I think you need to leave your home. Like a lot of families have trauma, right? But there's so much, like I was diagnosed with CPTSD from a lot of like the racial trauma and just that shift from the South to to my, my town. Um, And she recommended like a separation. And for those who aren't familiar with Mexican culture, like separation from your family, I wouldn't say it's really not an option, but um, it's it's really frowned upon. And especially therapy back Mm. when I was getting therapy. And it's still in certain areas. Yeah, still. But especially back then, heavily, heavily frowned upon because the way they see it is, oh, you're going, I had a white therapist at the time. Oh, you're going to a white woman? telling our family business, talking, telling my name, telling, talking about my business, that's what you're doing? No, we handle this internally. So I um, felt a lot of guilt about that, but I knew that she was right. And it took me like, it was a year from the time that she, she recommended that to me to the time that I actually made that move. And then 
fast forward, I didn't talk to my family. And the way I left was so tragic. Um, I like literally just told people, my family the day of, like, I'm leaving. I told my dad I'm leaving. I told my siblings because I didn't want them to like wonder where I went. I told them I'm leaving. Um, I'll be in touch, but I can't, I can't do this anymore. And there were a lot of other things going on, but um, there was a lot of upset, a lot of anger. Um, and then fast forward to six years later, I didn't speak to my family for six years. Um, including your father? Including my father. Yeah. I, I, I but did shared- they know you were alive? Like, he As knew. a father, I know for me, I will be like, oh, I know, heck no. So he knew from other family members, he would get like whispers of like where I was, sort of what I was doing. But that's something that my father and I are working on now because that's that was those six years ago were just like two years ago. So we're still trying to like start a new foundation, rekindle. Because I mean, as a kid experiencing trauma, I'm just like, it's justified to me, you know, I'm like, oh, forget that. I don't need to tell you where I am. But now coming to my adulthood, thinking about becoming a parent, I do now understand like how that could be really traumatizing for my father, you know. So we're working on that right now. Um, but we were upset at each other for a really, really long time. Him for me just up and leaving, cutting off communication and me for him not understanding and seeing the bigger picture as to why I might do that and ignoring that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a two-way um, sort of trauma, <laughs> sort of sort of trauma bond. Um, but we're working through that, and I think there's a lot of beauty in like, like that space was really necessary for me. But also, like, there are some repairs I need you know, to be done on both ends. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in terms, do, do you, so what is your approach as a, uh, an art, as an artist, right? Do you now like tell these stories? Like, do you now, like, how do you approach, you know, a songwriting or like a production session? Like, how do you now implement all of the things that you experienced? Like, and is it therapeutic? Like, what is it that you do? to um to get into your creative mode knowing that you have went through so much in your life yeah so i think that so it's funny the way i i told you i've been a a poet since i can remember but i i've only been an artist um and like been in the studio for like one to two years now which is super fresh i'm a baby in this industry and what actually i never said to myself oh i'm gonna be artist or i'm gonna go record music I had a period of time that was ex- like extremely traumatizing for me where I was homeless. This was like three years ago, like three and a half years ago. Um, I was pregnant in a homeless shelter and I was just feeling so, so low. Like, you know, we talk about like the lowest points in your life. That was like a real low point for me. And I remember the only way I was able to cope was by writing poems in my bed at the shelter every night. So I had wrote four poems about my situation and then as soon as I got out the the shelter, I, I had a friend who was like, you know, because I have friends in the industry. So I was in studios, around studios. I had a friend who was like, hey, you should just hop on. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't write anything. And they were like, you have, what do you mean? You're, he introduced me to like poetry as lyricism um, and helped me with that whole transition into a musician. But he was like, just hop on the mic and like, see what you think. And 
as all artists first starting off, I was really awkward. I didn't want to like, you know, um, a lot of stuttering, a lot of, oh, I don't know. Um, but after like that first hour, I just felt like such a release on my spirit that I never felt before. Like penning to paper your feelings and your experiences is one thing because that's intimate between you mm-hmm. and the paper. But like once you get that out there, it's just so freeing. And so that's how I started off and as an artist and became an artist in terms of my writing process. It's so funny. I was just in the studio yesterday and, and um, explained to people because they were like, oh, how long did it take for you to write your verse? And I'm like, I'm not very traditional in the sense that I can't pre-write my lyrics. I have to write it in the moment and it has to be inspired by a feeling um, that's on my heart at that time. So I can't just like write about partying or if it doesn't resonate with me, I just can't write about it. I don't know. My heart's not in it. So um, a lot of people don't actually know this, but I write my lyrics on the bus, like on the metro, um, because that's just where I feel most comfortable. A lot of times people need quiet. I need like the hustle and bustle of like the the LA streets. I need the business of the streets. I need the inspiration from the from the community that I'm communities that I'm writing by. Um, and that's where I first wrote my my first set of lyrics. So it just feels like home to me now. Okay. And you you mentioned LA. Yeah. So, so you're in the city. You're out yeah. here in LA, <laughs> right? Um, what is something that you really love about this city? Because I understand you're from the nor- Northern California. What is something that you love about LA? So I've been here for six years, and um, it just so happened that I I landed in South Central. And I'm going to look at the camera for this one. I love South Central. (laughs) I love the people. I love the pockets of culture. Mm -hmm. I love, just like any other place, there are politics that come with it. But I just, there's so much to love. The food, the music, um, the energy, the energy, the energy, like the black and brown pride um, I just love South Central, like, and, and we've had this conversation before. I was telling you, like, yeah, I've been here for six, going on seven years. I've been to Long Beach one time. I've been to Hollywood a handful of times. Like, I stay in Inglewood, Gardena, Compton, Carson, like, those surrounding areas. That's that's where it's at. Like, really and truly on a day-to-day basis, like, you could find me in Lemert. Like at my Inglewood joints, my cafes, and in Compton at the library, Inglewood Library. Like those are where I'm at every day. I just love South Central. There's something so freeing and inviting about the this place. I love it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. dope. That's, real, that's good stuff. That's yeah. good stuff. I want to know about um, some of your music. Uh, I, I played something and I was like, all right, cool. It's not English. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I want to know about that. Like now... You, you're writing, you're not even necessarily writing in, in English, right? Why, yeah. why did you decide to go that route? Um, I, I decided to go that route because I grew up listening to a lot of English rap and a lot of Spanish rap. And I just never, I mean, I listed to you a few inspirational artists, but I like to this day, I don't really know of many rap artists that include both and I just felt like I wanted to touch the hearts and the minds of those of us who are bilingual and honestly I feel like 
even even bigger than that like thinking on a wider scale in in Spanish there's so many things that you can can say and so many things that you can evoke that you can't do with the English language like I'll give you an example. Okay, give me an example. Like, I want to know. I'll give you a one-liner, and this will just be a perfect metaphor for what I mean. Like, I have one song that I wrote that's unreleased, and it said, Demasiado inteligente te puedo matar con solo mi mente. Like, what does that mean? What? But if I say it in English, it's not the same. It, in English, it's translated, like, I'm so intelligent, I can kill you with my mind. So it's like, there's that flow and I like that switch because like it's just being real when I run out of of things to rhyme in English I can just switch switch over so yeah so I have a lot of Spanish only songs I have a lot of bilingual songs I'm currently working on my first English only track which is interesting but even then I still have some like Mexican references to the culture so yeah so um, I know one notable uh, artist is uh, D Smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and he's from Inglewood. Yeah. And I I was ch- checking out his songs. And I was like, <laughs> like, is he talking? To, like, I had to like rewind it because yeah. I was like, yo, he did not just. Talk- oh, he's he is rapping in Spanish. So I th- I think that's cool that you guys are navigating those same spaces. Yeah. And um, you guys are also uh, writing in um, Spanish and in English. Right. So when is there is there like what part of Mexico is your like your family, your dad's family originates from? Uh, my dad's family is from Guanajuato. And then so when I moved from living with my because my parents separated, as we've talked about before, my father remarried a woman with roots from Jalisco. So a lot of my references are either inspired by the Guanajuato community or the the Jalisco community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, dope, dope, dope. Mm-hmm. And um, have you been out there? No, I haven't. I'm actually going to Guanajuato come New Year because it's a whole thing. Like every time, and a lot of folks from this generation, a lot of Mexican American youth, I would say, could probably resonate with this. But there's a lot of like, it's not safe. Like, you know, but I'm like, eh, come on, it's not safe anywhere. Well, I I go the, the the area that I go to. People tell me like, you go there, like yeah. I I'll fly into Culiacan, like I'm in Sinaloa, yeah, and I'm like on the ranches and I'm navigating. See, it but you and, know, people, you're not going as like a, a American tourist, like you. Yeah, I'm. Yes, but like there is a language barrier. Yeah, that's, so for yeah, me. That's true. That I'm like, yo, what did he just say? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like certain things. So I, I do try to pay attention from the words that I do know. Yeah. Um, but I, I am navigating with family. So, and they're from that area. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is a huge plus. And even when I'm out there, like we went to one ranch and I looked at, like, it was like this little boy and he looked at me a certain way. And I looked at, I looked at my wife and I was like, I don't think he's ever seen anyone black before. <laughs> yeah. And she was like... I don't think he has either. <laughs> like, and even down to like, it's certain areas that we went to that it wasn't just stairs. It was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like it's somebody black. Like yeah. I've never seen them over here. You know what I mean? Because we would go into the mountains area like far. And I would, I would say jokes like, I don't think they're going to find my body. Like, <laughs> 
That's yeah. it. It's over. Like where I'm at. Like if something happens. Yeah, and the crazy like, part so is, far. and we were talking about this too. Like there are black Mexicans in yes. towns. Like, like there are black Mexicans. That's that's all I'll say to that. So that's yeah, the, yeah, that's the sure. crazy part. Yeah, and when I when we came back, we were flying back one one time, and uh, we were flying in the TJ, and they thought I was Haitian, so they stopped me. <laughs> yeah, because I guess like there's a whole thing right now, and I'm like, yo, this is whack. So they stopped me, and they were gonna like ask me a whole bunch of questions, and then uh, I flashed like, yo, I'm I'm a U.S. citizen. And you don't you you never know until you start traveling that the U.S. passport holds weight. Yeah, man, yeah. it holds weight. Like as soon as I flash my passport, like, oh, no problem, sir. Here you mm-hmm. go. And I'm like, I did not just receive the same treatment thirty seconds ago. Yeah, real stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, there are privileges in being American, and also uh, there are privileges in being American and knowing other languages. Yeah. So I'm Absolutely. excited for that. You know, I'm really excited that you do know. So that way no one looks at, at you as if you don't and try to take advantage of it in, in any form. Yeah. Um, so what, what is something that we can look forward to? Um, you and your music and that's coming out into the world. What can we look forward to seeing? You can look forward to seeing like on top of my music and the messages that I'm spreading that are sure to resonate with you, whether you know Spanish or not, or don't know Spanish. But I think the creative aspect, like that's something you could definitely look forward to. I'm currently working on a project. My creative director's gonna watch this, so I I can't give out too many details, but everything is so meticulous. Like we put so much tender, loving care into each and every projects. And even like yesterday, I did a verse um, for another Latin artist and there was like references to like some some soccer players from the from the Mexico team like i think just like those those little things um a lot of new music i only have one project out which by the way if you look it up it's not out for a good reason i put everything out on distrokid as a lot of like new up and coming artists do Luckily, I have a lot of friends in the music industry who've been doing this thing for like 10, 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, they let me know, like, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that I own the rights to that music. It doesn't mean that I'll get paid appropriately. And also, the people who I have featured on the project aren't going to be giving their, their due credit. So I took everything down. I registered with ASCAP. So if you, and CD Baby, which is a, a distribution platform, um, so I can own my masters because that's really important. We don't talk about that. We're over here scraping pennies on for Spotify listens when the gold mine is really owning our own masters so that we can make, you know, sufficient money from it. But, um, yeah, you can just, just look forward to merging my community work with my music, just talking about real stuff. And um, don't get me wrong, I listen to a lot of, like, new age trap rap hip-hop but i am concerned i like my music because like we're over here uh, enabling psychos and um serial killers like people are literally talking about murdering people burying their bodies and and we're over here in clubs and at events like like don't get me wrong it's catchy but we have to look look into the lyrics like i told you lyrics music is mantra so you can look forward to no serial killer music 
anytime soon on my behalf and just uplifting music that's good for your soul and representation of both cultures. So you t- you you did say something um, before we close out. You said something that that kind of re- resonated with me. You said uh, you know the business and owning your masters, right? So you know registering ASCAP, you know going with CD Baby for distribution. I want to know also like, do you plan on you know wanting to get signed? I would say no, and and I won't say. It's it's not a, a no period or a no forever. It's just not now and not anytime soon. And I'd say the biggest influences for that are, are God bless those in the industry who don't gatekeep and who who provide information. Like we talk about LA Russell all the time. Oh my gosh, the Russell's killing he's it. He's amazing he's doing amazing work for us independent upcoming artists. And and we can learn from him, right? Because he's had so many treacherous experiences um in the industry with contracts and and all that stuff that we don't we don't know like unfortunately like a lot of black and brown artists like we're just happy to be signed right we're happy Mm. to be connected to a label but that's not that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the end goal so my individuality is so important to me and i and i don't want to hand over control of my music like from a musician standpoint that's like giving control of your soul that's like signing your soul i wouldn't say to the devil necessarily there are great um there are great labels out there but it's just a matter of I- i'm good until i i'm willing to do the the work right because la Russell talks about you can be an independent artist but are you willing to to put the blood sweat and tears into it and also a big shout out to another artist um deaf sound that's that's like a huge friend and music mentor. He's a professor, um, or their professor, sorry. And they've really kind of changed my perspective on mm-hmm. a lot of things and, and helped me not to put myself in a box. Like the sky is the limit. And um, it's just a matter of, of finding those resources. Like anything a music label can do, you can do in the meantime. You just have to have the the passion for it. Okay, and my our last question: What is something that you would lead to someone? Like, what's some if someone trying to break into this industry, want to be an artist, you know, actually create their own albums and put it out there? Marketing is it saturated? Should, should I not? What should I do? Should I be intentional? Should I really put out this? What's something that you would leave with someone oh, that man. really wants to do this work? And these are these are little golden nuggets that I give to to artists who come to me who like look up to me. I tell them all the time, of course, be super intentional, but more specifically, rap or sing or write about things are relevant to your life. You're over here wondering why you're not getting results, why the music's not hitting when you have a great beat is because people like you got to give like admirers of, of music and lovers of music more credit than they're usually given. Like, they're not dumb. They're going to know, they can feel what's genuine. If you're writing about a lifestyle that you don't live, they're going to feel that energy. So I would say be very intentional. And, and and bigger than that, be super intentional and mindful in particular of the people that you have around me. Any industry, there's tons of people hoping to just gain from you and give nothing. You have to be with people who see the vision who 
inspire you, who are inspired by you, and who, like, when you turn your back, they're not going to take money from you. Like, they're going to be, make sure you're working. Because this is the thing, a lot of people are like, I'll be like, why are you working with that person? Like, you know they have a history of X, Y, and Z, of of dishonesty and lying and cheating and stealing. And the excuse is always like, oh, you know, you just got him. That's what you got to do to make it out here. That's absolutely 100% equivocally cap. cap. Yes. All the way. 100% cap. Um, It's it's a slow and and difficult road um, working with honest people who are on the same page. But it's so much rewarding, so less draining, and so much more fulfilling. So that's what I would say. All right, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> you, Tony, for coming through. Yeah. Oh, and where can they find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, you can find me, and I'm I'm gonna get better. My my management is on me right now. I'm gonna get better with social media, but you can find me um, soon everywhere at Tony Mundo under, underscore. That's T O N I M U N D O underscore um, on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, like I said, I had to take all my music down because I want to do right by myself, by my my producer, by my creditors. So it'll it'll all be back up in like three to four weeks time. So yeah, Tony Mundo. It's been such a pleasure. I really thank enjoy you. the work that you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and this has been another episode of Production Pod. And always remember, anything that you want to create, you have to produce it. Thank you again. Peace. Peace.